0: Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's episode is a talk given by Church of the Advent member, Dale Brown. Also continuing with a little commentary on our service, why do we sing so many psalms? Does anybody know that? Especially at morning prayer, why do we sing so many psalms? Kiddos? No? You ain't got nothing, nothing this morning, huh? Well, we, huh? Well, it's preparation, yep. We sing songs, the Psalms in particular, because the Psalms, the Psalter, which is in your Bibles, which if you don't bring to church on Sunday, you should start bringing them, have them out. It's okay to do that. The Orthodox Church likes Bibles. Yep, you can pick one up in the pew in front of you. The Psalms or the Psalter is the church's hymn book. It's where the church gets its songs from. Not only the church, but the Jewish people. When the Bible was put together, the Psalter, the book of Psalms, was put into the Bible precisely as the hymn book of the people of God. And the church has often uh, meditated on the Psalms, in particular as in relationship to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus would have sung and prayed the Psalms. And most of the time when he quotes things in the Gospels, he's quoting from the Psalter. He's quoting from the Psalms. And a lot of times when he's quoting from the Psalms, he's quoting in the Psalms in relationship to him. And so the church often reflects on the Psalms in relationship with Jesus, seeing Jesus throughout the entire book of Psalms. So as we were reading through the Psalter this morning, the things that kept coming back to me was probably, how would have Christ, how Christ, our Lord, would have been thinking about himself in relationship to that psalm that we were reading and praying through this morning. So when you can sometimes get bored with such long chanting of the Psalms, take, take a step back and think, this is a psalm that Jesus himself, our God, would have been singing on a day just like this. This was a psalm that Christ himself, probably most likely, as all good faithful Jews would have, known by heart and could have easily probably brought it to his memory throughout his life. And of course, we know that Jesus prayed, uh, most likely psalms as he was dying on the cross, which we will get to later on as we journey towards Pascha, towards what the Western church calls Easter. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to uh, Matthew Chapter 4. Matthew Chapter 4, verses 1. We'll start there. As Subdeacon Stephen, I almost called you St. Stephen, but it's Subdeacon Stephen, read this morning. We find ourselves the first Sunday of Lent. We're finally here. We're finally in Lent. We're going through these 40 days together, give or take, depending on how you, you know, count and what fast days you have and all those things. We're going to be journeying for roughly 40 days throughout this season of Lent in preparation for Easter, for preparation for Pascha. Now, what is Pascha? What is Easter? It's Passover. We're journeying together to Passover. And for our very first reading, we have the reading of Jesus in the wilderness. Now, why would the church have this as our very first reading for the season of Lent? Anybody want to take a guess? Why would we have this very first reading? At first glance, there is a connection to this story and what we're doing because what does Jesus do? Jesus goes into the desert for how many days? How many days? Forty. How many days are we going to be fasting in preparation for Pascha? Forty days. And so at first glance, we could probably just say, well, there's 40 days that Jesus is in the wilderness, and there's 40 days that we're going to be fasting, therefore the church gave us this. And we could talk about fasting, and we could do all that, but uh, Deacon Bo uh, had a wonderful homily last week, and go listen to it. Or, excuse me, not last week, on Ash Wednesday. And you can listen to it on the thing about fasting and why we do it, how we do it, and when we do it. But there's something else we need to take into account when we read this. And it's something that I think is very important. It's connecting this story to the larger story. Just as we are connecting our lives and our story, this season of Lent, to Christ, particularly coming at this 40-day section of his life as we are preparing our hearts for Pascha, passover for 40 days this story connects us back into the larger story and we need to see it we need to see it so what has happened right before jesus goes into the desert he's baptized jesus is baptized in what the jordan river and the heavens open up and the dove descends down the holy spirit descends down as a dove and rests upon christ the Father's voice echoes, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. All those around hear the voice. And then it says, Jesus comes out of the water and he goes into the desert, led by the same Holy Spirit who descended on him as a dove. Now, we can read that, and once again, there's wonderful things to make connections with in our modern life, is in kind of our Christian experience of baptism and chrismation and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. But a first century Palestinian Jew living under Roman oppression, which is where this, what this book was being written for, the book of Matthew, a first century Jew would have read that and they would have heard something else. They would have heard echoes of a story that was near and dear to their heart. Because you see, the Jordan River, from where Jesus himself was baptized, put into the waters, that Jordan River was the same Jordan River that the Israelites crossed under. Yahshua, Joshua, in the Old Testament. That's the same Jordan River that the Israelites crossed to come into the promised land out of the Exodus. They had come out of Egypt in bondage, and they have crossed the Red Sea with Moses, and then they were crossing the Jordan River with Joshua, Yahshua, into the promised land when they came into Cana or Israel as we know it today. The Jordan River was the place where God's promises were fulfilled to the Israelites. The promises that to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Jesus, being a Jew, a faithful Jew, went into the waters of the Jordan River, just as John the Baptist had been calling all the Jews out there to repent, and come back to the place where God started, uh, started to fulfill his promises, come back to the Jordan River. Jesus did, and he immediately comes out of the waters, and goes into the desert and there he fasts and prays for 40 days and he accomplishes in 40 days what Israel could not accomplish in 40 years Jesus remained faithful to the father now Israel struggled in the wilderness Israel was tempted. Now, we don't, we don't hear that they were tempted by the devil, but they were definitely tempted. The kids and I are reading through Exodus right now. We haven't quite gotten to this part of the Exodus story. But if you go back and you read the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, not in that order, maybe in a different order, but if you go and do that, you're going to see that one of the things that happens is that the Israelites grumble against God a lot. God has delivered them out of bondage. God has brought them out of Egypt. God has saved them. And immediately they're in the desert complaining. Why? Because they don't have food. They don't have water, supposedly. And then when God provides manna from heaven, provides water, what do they complain about? We don't have any meat. They start complaining that they don't have any meat. And then eventually God sends down uh, birds for them to eat and so forth. But they grumble a lot about food. And so what do we see at the beginning of this story? At the end of 40 days, when Jesus has fasted and Jesus has prayed and Jesus is preparing, the devil comes to him and what does he tempt him with? Food. Food. You could say to these stones out here, become bread, and they will. They'll become bread. You should do that. You're hungry. You've been fasting. What does Jesus say? What does he say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He quotes from Deuteronomy. He quotes from the story of the Exodus. Then the devil comes and he tempts him again, this time taking him to the temple, the holiest spot in all of Israel, the place where heaven and earth meet, and God receives the sacrifice and the prayers of the people. He places Jesus at the pinnacle of the temple and says, cast yourself off. Surely the God whom you worship will protect you because the scriptures say that the angels will guard your feet. And what does Jesus say? It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then the devil takes Jesus again to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and says, all this can be yours. If you just fall down and worship me. Now, there is a slight progression here. And if I had, you know, a couple hours with you, we could walk through it, but... My kids are obviously not too excited about that prospect. So I'm just going to kind of breeze over it and you, you guys carry it with you and think about it and study on your own and come back and full of knowledge and truth next week. But the first two temptations deal particularly with Israel and particularly with the Exodus and with the worship of God of Israel. That's, that's the first part. Those first two temptations are particularly to Israel. Jesus is being faithful, being faithful Israel. When Israel continues to go away and tempt God and and ask God to do all kinds of things for him in the wilderness and begs for food and grumbles and says, we'd rather be back in Egypt. We'd rather die in Egypt than be free. Jesus doesn't succumb to that temptation. on the contrary, does what Israel was supposed to do and remains faithful and fulfills the promises of God that were supposed to be fulfilled in and through Israel and for the life of the whole world. But this last temptation, this last temptation takes us back even further in the story of the Old Testament. You see, the last temptation of Christ is the temptation that our First, mother and father Adam and Eve dealt with you shall become like gods is what the serpent the old serpent of old said to Adam and Eve and here the temptation is to have another God if you just fall down and worship me all the kingdoms of the world will be yours and Jesus says, You shall have only one God before you. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him alone. Quoting once again Deuteronomy, the story of the Exodus. Jesus, in the first two temptations, gathers up the story of Israel, gathers up the story of the Exodus, gathers up the story of of the people of god up until that moment and he as a faithful jew as a faithful israelite fulfills the promises of god that were supposed to come through israel and in this last temptation he stretches all the way back being fully god fully man he is fully a son of adam and Eve. And he gathers up that story at the very beginning of your Bible. And instead of succumbing to the temptation that Adam and Eve succumbed to, that brought all of creation down, he responds right back to the devil, to that serpent of old, that you should love and worship the God, our God, alone. And he becomes what man was always supposed to be. If you want to know what humanity looks like, fully human, what we were always supposed to be, we only have to look at the face of Christ. For he is fully God, fully man, fully who humanity was always supposed to be. And he gathers up humanity in himself, not just the story of Israel, but all of humanity. And he offers it perfectly to the Father. And thus he begins his ministry. You see, this journey in the wilderness isn't the journey for him to the cross. Not yet, not yet. We're journeying to the cross during these 40 days. But this is how he begins his ministry. For you see, it's in this that he comes out of the desert and the scriptures say, particularly Luke's gospel says in this passage, that he goes into the desert led by the Spirit and he comes out of the desert full of the Holy Spirit, and he goes right into the cities and he picks up a scroll and he reads it and declares himself to be the promised one of God. Jesus is faithful Israel. Jesus is faithful humanity. Jesus is our God. He's our life. He's our hope. And he is exactly who we as Christians are to be emulating in our lives. And so as Jesus gathered up all of the stories of the Old Testament into himself, instead of falling, overcomes, we through the season of Lent, as we prepare our hearts for Holy Pascha, should be uniting ourselves to the story of Jesus, to the story of the Exodus, the story of creation not as fallen humanity but as redeemed humanity people who really believe that god has become man that god has become one of us to save us to redeem us and to bring us to everlasting life we here in this time are uniting ourselves to this story through fasting through prayer. the reading and meditation of scripture, and to our journeys, some of you as catechumens, to the journey of chrismation. So as you spend these next few weeks during this Lenten season preparing yourselves, see it as uniting yourself to the story. And if you don't know the story of the Exodus, I encourage you, there's no greater thing to do. I tell my kids... Yes, we need to give up something for Lent, but you also need to take something on. Take something on. Give up. Yes, you're giving up. There's fasting and there's abstaining from certain foods, but you should take something on. You should memorize a psalm or you should read a whole book, of the Go- a, a whole book in the Bible. Not Jude. Um, a, a much bigger book. Something that takes more than just one 15-minute reading. You should memorize a, a, a portion of the Psalter. Or, if you haven't ever read the story of the Exodus, maybe it's the time for you to pick up the book of Exodus and read through it, because our journey to Pascha, our journey to Passover, is nothing other than that story as well, and you, as Christians, are a part of that story, and you, as Christians, through holy baz- baptism and chrismation, become a part of that story. You are put into Jesus. And made a part of that story so that you yourself can say, like our fathers before us, we came out of Egypt. To the glory of God the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we all say, Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.